the world has not made it safe for people to take those type of risks in most corporations. There are some outliers, but for the most part, people say, mm, I have an idea, but I'm not going to get my head chopped off here. So I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep my head down. And so the organization loses out on the vast majority of that innovation. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans at Work by Mind Valley. I'm your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And before we get started, tell me if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Would it be your body, your career, your relationships? Thankfully, you don't have to choose. As a Mind Valley member, you'll get instant access to the wisdom of world class personal growth teachers and programs that can evolve you in every way for just $2 a day. Are you ready to make a change? Start transforming your life today at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership and going more deeply into what does it make to be a great leader? How can you bring your own good authority within the workplace? And the author of the book, Good Authority Himself, Jonathan Raymond, is going to be our guest. He is the founder CEO of Refound which is a leadership training company that helps organization unlock high performance through transparent conversations about growth and accountability. The man has worked with Michael Gerber, which is the author of E-Myth as the former CEO, chief brand officer as well. He's an experienced CEO and Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership space back in Inc. 2018 and his book, Good Authority, How to Become a Leader Your Team is Waiting For is where we're going to focus most of this conversation today to really see what are the things you can do to nurture a better leadership style within your organization, regardless of the position that you hold. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Now, Jonathan, you've been in the space of leadership. You've been working with like giant companies like Panasonic, McKinsey, uh, or startups as well. And since you've been doing this for so many years, what are some of the major things you've noticed change in the field of leadership within the recent years? Well, it's even more so in the last year because of COVID and some of the things that that has uncovered. We're really in a multi-decade trend where the bargain of what does it mean to be an employee and what do you expect from your manager and what do you expect from the company is really changing in a fundamental way. And I refer to it in different ways, you know, depending upon the audience. But the way I see it, we're, we have been entering into what I'll call the meaning economy, where what people are looking for from their jobs, what they're looking for from their manager, what they're looking for from, from the nature of work itself has changed dramatically. And I would say most companies, the vast majority of companies are way behind the curve in being prepared for that and creating and cultivating spaces where people experience work as a meaningful additive thing to their life, not a draining and soul crushing thing. The corporate world is really playing catch up here. Uh, and we've seen that with you know what folks are calling now the great resignation uh, in April, at least here in the US, 4 million people quit their job in April of 2021, right? A couple months back. And so we're in, we're in the reckoning right now of a trend that has been talked about and folks like me have been warning about for about 20, 30 years. And here we are. I feel like it's actually just been the catalyst to make people pay attention, having this COVID kind of swarm in 
because I've been hearing about some of these concepts, but it's almost like corporate America particularly was very hesitant to embrace any of this because it seems like the new type of leadership models involved a lot more effort. It demands more from leaders, right? Because before it was just get the people to do their job, don't ask too many questions, maybe whip them into shape. Here you're talking about needing to invest a lot more of your energy into who are these people? How do you clarify the meaning to them? And what are you seeing with the companies that did decide to make the leap and embrace this early? It's interesting. You know, most of the folks that are getting it, they understand intuitively or instinctively that it's directly connected to ROI. So what I mean by that is there are a lot of people out there like, oh, this feels like, you know, why don't people just do their jobs? And, you know, we pay them a good salary and, you know, we have a nice office space or they get to work from home, whatever it is. And there's this kind of old, what I'll call dinosaur thinking that that's enough, right? And of course, it's not enough. It's not nearly enough. And what we're seeing now is an emergence of a, a class or a group of CEOs and CHROs, people who are think about culture, who are not only embracing and understanding that it was never enough, but seeing that it's actually directly connected to the performance of their teams and the performance of the organization. And so that's the that's what I'm seeing. And again, it's not with everybody and it's not everywhere, certainly. But those are the folks who are there seeing, hey, you know, this was always the case. We've been managing around this problem for a long time. What if we could use it for our advantage? What if by creating a place of work that was actually good, not marketing good, like actually good for the soul, heart, mind, body of a human being, that that could be good for our business too. And we're so accustomed to a the old way of doing it, we almost can't even imagine what that would look like and what it would feel like. Uh, but once you get a taste of it, it's uh, it's rather intoxicating. Is this one of the reasons you can see like these startups that seem to have these foundations at the root of their creation, like a centering on purpose and meaning and values are able to attract top tier talent? And it seems like the big, slower companies that don't want to embrace this aren't able to retain or engage employees as much. Is this what we're seeing? I think that's a big part of it. When you look at a lot of the survey data, one of the things that people often say is lacking uh, working for a big company, which is obvious enough, is autonomy. And that's it's a very difficult problem to solve when you're a big company. You know, we have we're a small business. We have about 20 people at Refound, and uh, I, you know, someone who's on my team who used to work at a much larger company, and he said to me, Jonathan, it's, it's a lot to get used to. You know, in my old company. There was like 15 to 18 people I had to go through if I wanted to do anything. If I wanted to get anything done, the number of, you had to socialize with my manager, then we had to socialize with the customer, then we had to socialize with the team. And it's disorienting to feel like you're in a job that he has now in our business where he gets, he has an idea and like that day he gets to implement that idea, right? And so that's really a challenge if you're a bigger, you know, historically slower moving company, even a company that used to be a startup, Right. You know, you get past IPO stage, you get into there's a lot more bureaucracy and bureaucracy isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, bureaucracy gets a bad name. You know, process and procedure and structure is a really good thing. Most organizations need better, but they don't necessarily need more bureaucracy. And so I think that's you know, that's a lot of the work that I see is needed. People need structure. People relish structure. People respond well within that. We don't do well as human beings when it's just an, an open field where we can do whatever we want. We don't function that well, well that way as teams and we don't function that way as individuals. But what type of structure and most organizations get that really wrong? Mm. I mean, I, I can only refer to myself like it's almost like the paradox of choice, right? I've always been someone who loves 
thriving within an organization, particularly small organization, where at least someone is there and has said like, all right, these are the broad directions we're going and here's the existing processes and systems that are in place. I love coming in where I have a foundation to build upon. And I think it's a little more intimidating to go with a blank slate because it could literally go anywhere. And I think, you know, especially with the fall of these religious institutions, I want to make a parallel to that because people aren't going to church as much. People are going to the temples, the mosques, whatever is your religious association. But this place of prayer, which we would find a lot of meaning, are not being engaged as much. And it's almost like we're trying to find another solution as to where we find this meaning. And so are you feeling like corporations are the ones responsible for delivering that to us individually? Or are we kind of putting a little bit too much on the companies for satisfying that need? I love that you asked me that question. You're the, I go on a lot of podcasts and you're the first person who has asked me the real question, uh, which is wonderful. So congratulations. And your audience obviously knew this already. And I don't blow smoke. That is exactly what is happening. And large corporations with lots of shareholders and more traditional investors and boards are going to be more reluctant to talk about it. But that place or that space, we could say, where we treat human life as sacred of into itself, it will happen at work. It is happening at work. We don't really have a good language for it yet, but it is what people are hungry for, what people are yearning for, and what they will leave if they don't have an experience of. And so, again, you know, you have to be careful, obviously, you know, when you when you're battling, you know, 3000 year old religious institutions for mindshare, you have to be a little careful about how you talk about that, because a lot of people have a lot of historical narrative and family conditioning and all that kind of stuff. But those trends of people who identify now much more as spiritual versus religious, that's been going on for quite some time. Right. And, you know, my generation, I'm in my late 40s. My generation was very much part of that trend. And it's accelerated now with people in their 30s or 20s and in their teen years. My oldest daughter is 16 and she's very much like that, right? Just a spiritual person, but not a religious person. And it doesn't mean that there's nothing good about religions, but or end in an inclusive workplace where you have people from different religions and different backgrounds and different family conditioning. That space where an organization is because it is and feels responsible for not just the workplace conditions, but the mental, emotional, and, and we could dare to say even spiritual conditions for how humans find their day to be, that is in no small way the task of the modern organization. And that is a big hill to climb from where most organizations are today. Before we continue, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mindvalley membership. For all of you personal development junkies like me out there, growing in one area of your life just isn't enough. That's why we made Mindvalley membership to bring you the best personal growth programs on the planet so you can evolve every day in every way. Whether you want to get crazy fit, build a business, or manifest more money in your life, there's a quest for that. And now you can access every single one for just $2 a day. So if you're striving to become the best self and live the life you deserve, try out Mindvalley membership at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. I agree. And I love your perspective on it. I have to relate to, you know, I had some experience at Mindvalley. I spent seven years with them full time. 
And yeah, it was, it was very much this catalyst to so much transformation in my life. I'm so grateful for the experience I had working there because yes, it gave me some advances on the professional level, but you know, being a company that was so focused on personal growth, it just allowed me to work on so many foundations of my character in my twenties. I was like mid twenties to early thirties there. Which also makes a parallel to, I think, a big part of what you speak about, which is, you know, this whole parallel between your personal growth and professional growth and how that happens from an individual level and happens from a whole company level. Could you elaborate a bit more about that? For sure. There are two core frameworks in good authority that we teach and coach leaders and managers and work with organizations on. The first is what we call more Yoda, less superhero. And the second is the accountability dial. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about both of them. So more Yoda, less superhero is this idea that most of us were socialized, educated, parented, and conditioned to focus on our individual contributions, taking in information, repeating it back out in the form of tests, individual performance, and so forth. And that's fine. That's good skill. You need that to be successful in the world. But if you're going to lead a team, that becomes a liability real quick. What you need to do is to be able to ask questions, to create genuine space for other people to discover what do they need to work on and to create the conditions for them to work on it at work. I was working with a senior operational leader, you know, guy from you know, big you know, aerospace experience, big manufacturing experience. And he said something to me about a year into our coaching, which if you knew this guy, you'd say, this is not the guy who would ever say something like this. And he said, Jonathan, you know what I've realized in the last year? It's my job to create the emotional conditions for people to work on themselves in my business. Like that's like mind blowing, right? That, but that's the nature of it, right? And a lot of people, especially, you know, more traditional executives, that's not where they're going to start. That's not the comfort zone that they're going to be in, but that's the place they're going to get to with some good coaching and leadership. So that first concept of, hey, you know what? It's my job not to save people, not to do their jobs for them, not to drive them to the results, but to show them a path and to say, hey, this is where we're going. How we get there, that is entirely up to you. We're going to get there. That's my responsibility. That's what I'm accountable for. But how we get there, I'm open. I'm curious. I'm going to assume that you see things, know things, and can do things that I can't. That's what it means to be more Yoda, less superhero. That's the mindset shift that we teach and coach leaders on. And that's what comes out of good authority. Go ahead. Well, before we go to the accountability part, I kind of want to open up on this Star Wars reference here, which is, are, are we saying here that it's much more powerful to actually treat each and every employee like a Luke Skywalker filled with potential, as opposed to just drill everybody to be another clone within the army? And can you do that at scale? That would be my big question is like, because you see, having people follow the rules, follow the processes, and, and you're talking about massive corporations, they kind of want to have that cookie cutter, but you're limiting that kind of power that people are using with the force. So I'd love for you to elaborate on that. There needs to be some amount of process and clarity and consistency for sure. But literally every single one of our clients from you know the biggest companies we work with, Panasonic and McKesson to the smallest, they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying, look, the nature of our business, the nature of our customer, the nature of our market, the nature of the competitive landscape, the nature of emerging technology makes it such that we cannot afford to do incremental change. We just can't. We need step change. We need to think differently about everything. Now, it doesn't mean everybody in the company needs to be thinking differently about everything in every moment, but we need far more innovative thinking, disruptive thinking. We need we need people who are going to cut against the way we're going to do things. We need far more Luke Skywalker 
in our culture, then we need clones, right? Then we need stormtroopers, right? Stormtroopers serve a purpose, right? They get certain things done, but the way they go about it, probably not the best recruiting strategy for the modern workplace. I'm very yeah. happy we brought a lot of Star Wars reference in this podcast, by yes. the way. Just, yeah. just going to throw that out there. We'll go to a Mandalorian reference if we have time. Ooh, well, I don't know if that ties into the accountability piece. It's actually a little bit of reference to my new book, but um, maybe we'll get there before we wrap. We can talk about accountability first. <laughs> well, yeah, because within our stormtroopers, there's a lot more potential of Luke Skywalkers. And so even before accountability, I'd say it's almost like we're waiting for that leadership, that CEO to come in and be like, all right, let's unleash everybody's Luke Skywalker. Let's unleash everybody's potential. But what are the things that I can do and the potential that exists if I'm leading a unit within a large corporation? Can I decide that my little troop of stormtroopers can decide to deliver so much more? Absolutely. The way, let's just use a very specific, concrete example of what leaders can do differently. And this is a lot of the stuff we teach. It's actually connected to the accountability though. What leaders and managers typically do when, when their team isn't operating in the way that they want is they tell the team to operate differently or they make a big announcement of, hey, everybody, we're going to do it differently, right? They make a proclamation or a declaration, which is a very top-down thing to do. And what I'm always counseling leaders to do is don't do that. Instead, notice something. Hey, here's an opportunity where I feel like we did it the old way, and I bet you there's a new way to do it, but I'm not sure what it is. Anybody have any ideas? Right? To actually open up the space or to call somebody out and say, hey, you know, you said something in our last meeting, and, and it, maybe it wasn't 100% right, but I think you're on to something. My intuition tells me you're on to something. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And everybody, I want everybody, just listen. We're not here to like pot shot or snipe at this new idea. It's a new idea. So it's probably not going to be perfect, but let's just listen. And let's see, and let's, let's see how maybe we can help build on that idea, right? That's how you start to create more Luke Skywalkers and more innovation. You have to make it safe because the world has not made it safe for people to take those type of risks in most corporations. There are some outliers, but for the most part, people say, mm, I have an idea, but I'm not going to get my head chopped off here. So I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep my head down. And so the organization loses out on the vast majority of that innovation because my little idea for making things better isn't polished. It isn't perfect. I don't have all the context that you have for how it would need to actually be practically applied, but it still might be right. Hmm. And it seems like we'd hold back from any of these innovations we want to bring in, or at least, especially when it comes to things that might not be going as well as they could, right? You don't want to be the bad messenger that brings up an issue. And isn't that how we see a lot of companies being blindsided with someone that just focuses on a core issue and people aren't even speaking up about it. So We've talked a lot in the show, we've had some past episodes where we speak a lot about psychological safety to be able to do that. So this is a great example of how a leader can bring that forward. As an individual within a team, is there anything I can do to help shift that culture itself? Mm. So I'll just talk a little bit about, so the next book that I'm working on right now, a lot of our clients have asked, they said, hey, we really love good authority for our leaders and managers. You know, what about for our direct contributors? What are about for the people who who aren't managers right now, or just, you know, even for managers when they think about their own role. And so the work, the book that I'm writing now, which will come out in the spring is called Work is the Way. And the, the concept of that book is that no matter what is happening around you, even if your company isn't doing things the way you think they should, even if you, your manager doesn't operate in a really great sort of human people first way, there's something that you can do. 
right? And that's something is you can work on a core issue for yourself by listening to the feedback that you've been getting, by looking at your life and seeing, you know, one of the stories that I talk about in the book is a firefighter. And he was rising up through the ranks of the fire service here in the Western United States, which of course is a super intense job. And he looked at the hierarchy and he said, well, I'm going to become a shift lead, then I'm going to become a supervisor, then I'm going to become a battalion chief. And he's moving along those rankings. And then at some point he got the promotion that he was looking for, but there was a catch. And there was one year where he was on probation. At the end of that one year, he was going to get voted by his colleagues of whether he could keep in that promotion. And he didn't get it. They voted him down. And he was shocked. And somebody else on his team, they looked, they walked up to him and they said, Jake, humility. It's about humility. Right. And he was never, he would have never described himself as somebody who was arrogant or thought he had all the answers. But in a moment of self-reflection and humility, he's like, oh, wait, I actually think that person's right. I think that is something. And yeah, did the boss make a mistake? Was the organization dysfunctional? Should they have kept, you know, yeah, probably. There was a bunch of stuff that was outside of his control. But what was within his control was to work on his own self and to find something, what I would call the growth signal. And folks can read the book in May, but you can work, but you can think about it now. Like, what's the growth signal for you? What's the thing that you can do that you can take 100% ownership of that you could work on in your current role where personal and professional growth intersects for you, right? That maybe you're going to stay in this job for another three months. Maybe you're going to stay there for another three years. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What can you work on for yourself and trust that if you do that, that's going to be good for you. That's going to be good for the team. That's going to be good for your relationships outside of work. And that's going to make you a better citizen of the planet. And the planet needs our help in so many ways in su at such a depth and critical mass now more than ever. So that's what you can do. Every person is unique. Every situation is unique. But there's something that you can work on for yourself, irrespective of what's happening around you. I love that. And I mean, for this is something you need to be very personally accountable to. And knowing that these results of growing yourself is going to translate in your career growth, it's going to help you get that next promotion, people are going to notice that you're taking yourself differently, you're, you're stepping it up a notch. And, you know, I really wanted to close the loop on that, which is the whole concept of accountability is, if I go back to being a leader, right, someone of authority, what are the things that I can do to create that culture of be, people being more accountable to themselves being more accountable and and excited about the meaning that the company provides. What else do we need to wrap up to be able to activate what we've been talking about here? Yeah. So the first thing we can talk about, we don't have time to get into today. Maybe another conversation is the accountability dial itself, which is really for how to have conversations with people about accountability and how to move forward difficult conversations. So they don't feel awkward or cause people to get defensive. But there's something that you can do first. You can take, we'll send you a link in the show notes to a course you can take to learn the steps of the accountability dial. But the thing that's not in that course, which you can do now, is to go and talk with your team. What does accountability mean to them? Because I guarantee you, if you have eight people on your team, they will give you eight different definitions of what accountability. There'll be overlap. But your job as a team leader is to say, okay, let's create a shared definition of what does accountability mean on this team? What are three examples of when somebody's being accountable that we go, we can, we can all go, yeah, that's being accountable. What are three examples of when people are not being accountable that we can all go, yeah, that's not being accountable on our team, by our values, by our standards, by the way we're going to do it here on our team, irrespective of what's happening in the rest of the organization. Here's our shared definition. Here's how we as a unit are going to be accountable. And if you'll have that conversation up front, instead of assuming, which is what we do, we think everybody knows what accountability means. I promise you they don't. 
they know what it means for them, but have that conversation first. And then you can get into the conversations and feedback and coaching and one-on-ones and all the stuff we'll teach you about in the course. Amazing. I can't help but think of an example, which is my sister actually was working in an organization where there was one person that was definitely not accountable. It was, it was an organization where they weren't getting rid of a person that was definitely not carrying their weight. Of course, this is a one-sided story, but let's take it for a fact and, and face value here. So if you have someone within your team that really has been, let's say, slacking, not pulling their own weight, and you have this accountability conversation, how would it typically unfold? I'd, I'd have a feeling it would make them a little nervous. It should. Yeah, the thing about what's interesting about or the way accountability works in most organizations is usually we do nothing about it until we put somebody on a PIP or a performance plan or whatever that looks like wherever you live. And then, you know, then it's exit and it's, and it's awkward and there's defensiveness and it blows up and complaints and sometimes lawsuits and whatever it is. And the accountability dial is designed to actually put a little bit of, not necessarily fear, but a little friction in the conversation sooner to say, hey, I noticed this thing and I'm not sure why that's happening. So it's a series of staged conversations. And what will happen is when people start to smell accountability is coming their way and they don't want to be accountable in their life, they will leave. They will exit themselves and you don't have to exit them. But the problem is we don't do any accountability until we actually involve HR and then it gets ugly real quick. So the accountability dial is designed to actually introduce that friction early on. Hey, I noticed this. And the next conversation, hey, there's a pattern. We've had a couple of conversations about this. And I'm not really seeing much movement, but you're doing that from a place of positive intent and from a place of curiosity, not assuming that you know the answer and not assuming that this person isn't capable of changing, but having the conversations and seeing what happens. And slowly but surely, one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to get the message and they're going to start to make some proactive changes or they're likely going to leave and they're going to say, you know, and then they'll make up some reason. Oh, my family, I had to relocate or oh, I got this better opportunity elsewhere. But the real reason is they smelled accountability was coming and they didn't want it. That's your job as a team leader. And that's how it'll play out. Wow. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time and coming to share these concepts with us today. I know there's so much more we could cover, but I want to give for everybody that's listening, make sure you look at the show notes. We're going to put some links so you can find some additional tools and go out and pick up a copy of Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is waiting for. We really have seen a shift in the management principles that are happening, especially since COVID, where we couldn't afford to manage the old way. The innovations, the superpowers within your team need to be unlocked. And these new ways of leadership are happening now because the ones that don't adapt are just not able to be as innovative or competitive. And we're seeing this happening across small organizations and large corporations as well. I find it's fascinating, this merger of meaning that is coming into the workplace. And this is something that's happening. It is something you need to take responsibility for and you're going to be able to attract the top talent when you take that very seriously. We went through a few of the principles, but what I really like is the fact that, guess what? When you take responsibility for your own personal growth, you're going to see your professional growth is going to be completely tied to this model. You're also going to realize that when you become more accountable for yourself and bring that culture of accountability within your team, you're going to see that everybody can align more to a shared purpose and the ones that really want to go to distance will be able to stay around, be more engaged, maybe see the ones that weren't really on board in the first place might find themselves going somewhere differently. Again, Jonathan Raymond, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing these amazing insights. I wish you the best on the newest book as well. We can't wait to have a look at that. And for those who want to pick up a copy of the current book, make sure you go to the show notes. We're going to have all the links available there for you. Thanks again, once again, all you superhumans. And until next time. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't signed up already, be sure to check out Mindvalley membership. 
Besides getting unlimited access to our top-rated programs and trainers, you'll also join an incredible supportive community on our new Connections app. This is basically a global campus where you find like-minded friends, mentors, and accountability partners from around the world online or get together at local meetups. If you want education that connects you with kindred spirits and transforms you from the inside out, join the tribe at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman today. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. <laughs>